10, Matthew chapter number 10, and we'll be looking tonight at verses 26 through 33. Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. As we begin, I want you to just notice with me our Lord's words in verse 28. The Lord says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Our subject really for this evening is the fear of God. Uh, the message of our Lord here is very much direct and it's quite simple. He says fear the right thing. He doesn't say do not fear as is mentioned many, many times throughout Scripture. But he is telling us to fear the right thing. Now, as we've learned, it was very natural for the apostles to be fearful. Uh, there is reason to be fearful of the Pharisees. Uh, there was reason to be fearful of those who were hostile towards the message of Christ. And it was a fearful thing to consider what Jesus had told them that they were going to face. Uh, I think it would be a grand mistake to think that these disciples uh, were not a little bit afraid when Jesus told them that you will be brought before governors and you'll be brought before kings, uh, that you are going to be uh, brought before uh, these particular places that are going to be delivered up. Uh, brother is going to uh, deliver brother. Parents are going to turn against uh, parents and that you'll be hated. Uh, it, it was a fearful thing to even consider and to think about those those words. But what Jesus wanted them to know very clearly is that what they were fearing the most was not what they should be fearing. Uh, they had reason to fear, but he says you should not fear, but rather you should fear the right thing. You should fear God. Uh, the worst thing that these people could do from the worst of the worst, the absolute worst thing they could do is kill the apostles' bodies. Now, I realize that that is a kind of a morbid thought. It's a morbid subject. But the important thing to remember is, is although they could take the life, they could kill the body, they could not touch the apostles' souls. And I think we have to keep in mind that when we think about who we are, and we think about ourselves and our humanity, we are often very much focused on our outward. We're focused on what we can see. But remember, there's a soul, and there's a living soul within every human being. That soul is very much alive. And as Jesus is giving this part of this uh, discourse to the apostles, you can see that fear and that, that fear running through. And I, I believe that's one of the reasons that Jesus was making mention of this is because there's no doubt he could probably see fear in them. He could see fear on their faces, uh, delivering that kind of a message to them. And you'll notice with me, even in verse 26, he says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Jesus very clearly says, Fear them not. Uh, don't fear them. Uh, there is nothing covered that shall be revealed and hid that shall not be known. 
Uh, Jesus, had, as he'd already told them in the previous verses, had told them uh, that you are going to be slandered. You're going to be drugged before councils. You are going to be hated for my sake. You're going to be misrepresented. You're going to be slandered. Uh, people are going to speak evil of you. But even if your good name is drugged through, dragged through the mud, and even if you are mistreated, one day it will be revealed. The truth will come out. The reality will come out. Now, we understand that in this life, we cannot expect an easy road. We cannot expect to be able to say that as Christians, that our life is supposed to be easy. Jesus taught the furthest thing from that. But Jesus' command to not fear rests on what is the actual time when God and God will judge the motives and the intents and the actions of man. Uh, right now, it's hard for us to look into this world and see, uh, see God's judgment. It's hard for us to see that day when all those secrets and all those motives are revealed and all that evil is actually put away. But Jesus is assuring them there's coming a day when there will be nothing covered. All will be revealed. Nothing will be hidden. God is going to openly judge all mankind. He's going to judge them and it will no longer be a secret. And in this reality, even the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 5 made a similar statement regarding this coming judgment. And one of the reasons why we can uh, find some comfort in this, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Paul wrote these words, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Uh, there is coming a day when God will bring all things to the surface. All things will be revealed. Uh, there will be nothing hidden. So Jesus was saying, don't be afraid of them. Uh, don't be afraid of people who say evil things about you. Don't be afraid of uh, those who, who mistreat you. Uh, the false things that they are doing now will one day be revealed. And God will vindicate you. God will vindicate and he will avenge. That's why we're even taught in scripture that God is the avenger. He'll take care of it. In verse 27, he says, What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Now, Jesus was telling them here, what I want you to preach, what I want you to say, what I want you to teach, that's what I want you to preach. I want you to make that the matter of your discourses. Make that the matter of your sermons. Uh, preach what I tell you in darkness. As you go out, speak upon the housetops, he says. In other words, he's telling them, I don't want you to make this a secret mission. I want you to go out and I want you to openly and publicly proclaim what I tell you to proclaim. What I speak to you in darkness or in private or behind the scenes, I want you to speak that in the light and I want you to speak upon or preach upon the housetops. It's interesting that we think about speaking on the housetops and uh, where they would have been uh, living and even residing and, and living and working. Uh, most of the roofs there were, they were flat top houses. And it would be very easy for them to literally get up on a housetop and be able to preach from a housetop. 
Uh, but he certainly wanted them to understand that you are to preach publicly. Uh, this is not to be done in secret. Find the public places of the land, and wherever there are people that are here, I want you to preach there. And again, he returns back in verse 28 to the subject of fear. And that's the verse that we read as we began. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Folks, this is so important to understand what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. Our greatest freedom from the fear of man. As we read in our call to worship and we read Psalm 56, David's words were, I will not fear what man can do to me. But then he did say, when, when I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I believe that God understands and God knows that there are going to be times when we are fearful. But he wants us to fear the right thing. And again, it's not the fear of them which can kill the body. But most importantly, fear him who can kill the soul. The, the greatest freedom from our fears of what man can do to us comes from fearing God. If we, if we fear God as we ought, the fear of man will not be as it often is. If we truly fear the right person, we fear God and not mankind, our fear of man will begin to go down. We're not going to have a great fear of man because we know ultimately what man can do is only take the body. Man cannot take the soul. You realize not a single Christian in human history who was martyred for the faith ever lost their soul because of the man that took their human life. They didn't lose their soul because of what man did to them. Now, it's yes, it's a sad account. It's a sad occasion. And we, 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 nobody says, this is what I want to have happen to me today. But the reality here is, is that Jesus is telling them, don't fear something or someone that cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him. So now Jesus very clearly says the fear is to be a fear of him. And of course, he's speaking of God. And it's, he says it is God who has the ability to destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, these are very striking words. Uh, he understands that, you know, this, this life of, that I've called you to, this life of preaching and this life of uh, persecution that you're going to face, uh, realize uh, that the one we should fear is he who can not only kill the body, but the soul. And this is a reference, uh, of course, to, uh, to actual hell, from, from the hellfire, from the fire and the brimstone of everlasting life in hell. And he says clearly who we're supposed to be fearful of is the one who has that ability. He who controls that, not he who controls uh, the killing of the body. But what is Jesus really instructing them with regard to this? He is teaching them that this is not, uh, the, your, the fear that you have of them is not a reason for you to surrender your testimony because of the fear of man. In other words, fear of man should not allow you to abandon your faith in me or abandon what you preach, what you say. As a matter of fact, we're not, we are not able to say less or more. Think about this for a moment. We're not, a, we're not allowed to say less or more because our, our message is being opposed. In other words, our message shouldn't change based upon the opposition. 
We shouldn't say less, and we shouldn't say more. We just continue to say and preach that which God has told us to say. But specifically here in context with the apostles, he's telling them, this is what you fear. Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Really, when we think about, when we compare mankind to God, man is powerless. Man is not just weak, he's powerless. Man cannot kill the soul. Man can only wound. He can only wound the body. Even if our earthly bodies, even if their earthly bodies, as far as the apostles were concerned, were killed, there was still the soul. And one day, of course, we realize that the soul and the body will one day be reunited together and will receive a glorified body. So even the very earthly body that is destroyed now will one day all be in a glorified body. And what a glorious day that'll be. But even Almighty God has power over life. He has power over death. And He has the ability to destroy both parts of our being you realize hell is not only the, uh, the, the destruction of the body and the destruction of the soul, but yet it goes on forever. It's not annihilation. Hell is an everlasting fire. But yet there is that everlasting uh, destruction that is taking place. So we are to fear God. The more we fear God, the less we are going to fear man. That's really the reality of what he is saying. The more we fear God, the less we're going to fear man. Most, most even Christians, are more fearful of what man can do than what God can do. Now sometimes we get the idea that once we're saved, we don't have to fear God anymore. And I don't believe this is this fear that says we're living and cowering behind Him. But we ought to be in reverence of who God is and in reverence of the reality that really nothing can happen to us outside the providential hand of God. Even the most wicked of men cannot do that which God has not ordained. They can't act outside of God's boundaries. They can't say, we're going to override God's will. We fear God, and we will fear man less. Somebody has said, what's the greatest cure for the fear of man? The cure is the fear of God. They say, how do I, how do I, how do I conquer my fear of what man can do to me? You conquer it, folks, by the fear of God. Remember, He's not saying don't be afraid. He's not saying don't be fearful. He says you've got to fear the right thing. Fear the right person. I was looking at various commentaries on this particular passage, especially verse 28, and I've made no secrets about this. One of my favorite commentators is John Gill. And I want to read this, this his, his commentary on verse 28. And I, I like the way he puts this. He said, this is a, as far as it, what it says, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. He says, this is a description of God and of his power who is able to do that which men are not able to do. All that they can do by divine permission is to kill the body. But he, with reference to God, is able to destroy 
That is to torment and punish both body and soul in hell in everlasting burnings. For neither soul nor body will be annihilated, though this he is able to do. As the former clause expresses the immortality of the soul, this supposes the resurrection of the body. For how otherwise should it be destroyed or punished with the soul in hell? Now this awful being which is able to hurl and will hurl all wicked and slothful, unfaithful, unprofitable, cowardly, and temporizing servants and ministers, soul and body into the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, is to be feared and dreaded. Yea, indeed, he only is to be feared and to be obeyed. Cruel and persecuting men are not to be feared at all. God alone should be our fear and dread. Though the argument seems to be formed from the lesser to the greater, yet this is the sense of the word rather. That God is to be feared not chiefly, listen to this, not chiefly and principally only, but solely. So Gill's position on this was very clear. There should be no fear of man at all. Our only fear should be the fear of God. And I believe that that lines up exactly with what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching that this fear, there should be no fear of what man can do, only a fear of God. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus seems to continue, but he takes a much different approach in verse 29. And he asks a question. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now this makes a great sermon against fear. And the subject of the sermon are sparrows. Very insignificant in comparison to the animal world. Uh, a sparrow is certainly not the strongest. A sparrow is certainly not the mightiest. A sparrow, in the, in the context of all of the world, has very few enemies underneath it that it is actually even able to take itself. These birds, and Jesus' own words are, He says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? A farthing is a very small coin. It's not worth much at all. And he he says these birds are of so little worth. And you, as my people, are far more of a greater consideration than all of the sparrows. But yet in the beauty of who God is, there's not a single sparrow that has ever died since the creation of the world that God did not know. And that God did not notice. God knows even when the sparrow falls. How much more consideration is God going to have for you if He knows the fate of every sparrow? In other words, if Jesus takes note of the sparrow when it falls, how much more is He going to take note of His children? It's hard for us to consider this great and mighty God 
and thinking about the reality that he knows everything about you. He knows every thought. He knows every intent. He knows every motive. And I hope you never get over the reality that he knows the very hairs of your head. I don't know if we even consider what a marvelous and unbelievable statement that is. And it's not, to, it, we're not, he's not emphasizing the number of hairs just to, to give an illustration. He's telling you that's how in, intensely and how intimately he knows you. There's not a thing that can happen to you without his permission and without him knowing it. I don't think we realize that no matter how much time you were given, you take the average person, you would not be able to count the numbers on, number of hairs on their head and be accurate about it. You would never come to an accurate answer. The very numbers of your hair are numbered. And he says, fear not, in verse 31, you are of more value than many sparrows. He doesn't even make a comparison of a one-on-one -on -one sparrow. He doesn't say you're greater than one sparrow. He says you're, you're of more value than many sparrows. And I think that's important to, distinct, to, to uh, declare that. But even this least part of the body, this, the hairs of our head, the intent here is that Jesus is saying that even the hairs on your head have been registered with God. They're counted. The very most minute circumstance of our lives are under the arrangement of God. There is no such thing as chance. You realize if you go through our, the Baptist Confession of Faith and read it cover to cover, just the confession, there's, no, uh, there's no, nothing given to chance. There's no chapter that says, well, here's what might happen or here's how life may deal you a bad break. Here's how things may go. No, chance is not even in our belief system. It is Almighty God, the one we are told to fear, who rules and plans and ordains and carries out our very life. Folks, Often people say, what's, what's the greatest demonstration of God's love for His people? And we all immediately and rightfully so, we run to the cross. We say there's, there's the great demonstration of, of love, and that certainly is the case. But don't lose sight of the fact that the, this very God who knows the very number of hairs on our head, who says you're more valuable than the sparrow, don't miss, don't miss that as being another proof and demonstration of just how much God loves His people. That he knows. And that our lives are being ordered. So since we understand that nothing can happen to us outside of God's permission, no matter what their conduct is, they cannot act outside of the sovereign will and permission of God. 
Oftentimes when somebody says, I can't believe this is happening to me, or I don't know how this could be happening to me, and something bad happens, and again, none of us look forward to these things. None of us wants to receive bad news, and I don't think that's the intent here. But understand that what happens to you, what happens to you and I, only happens by the sovereign will of God. Now that's supposed to take away our fears. That's supposed, to, that's supposed to do away with what we fear, not just what man, wicked man can do to our body directly, but even what life and even what disease and even what trials and troubles can do to us. You realize your, your life is being ordered by God. And that ought to bring us comfort. We ought to be ready. And I think Jesus was teaching his disciples this in this particular moment because I think he was tapping into the reality that they need to understand that when they are sent forth preaching this gospel, that no matter what man brings upon you, they could go with, with courage and with boldness because no matter what man does to them, God is not going to allow anything to happen to them that is outside of his sovereign will. Of course, Jesus knows, but also we should understand tonight that if we die in the service of God, even the Apostle Paul made mention of this, to die is gain. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. If our lives are truly secure in Christ as they ought to be, if our lives are truly what they should be in Christ, there is no need to fear a sovereign God, but rather we should find our rest in His sovereignty. I'm amazed at how many people are afraid, and I'm going to use this terminology not because it's accurate, they're afraid to let God be sovereign. You don't let God be anything. We don't let God be sovereign. That old cliche, let go and let God, that's as, that's as unbiblical as anything. God is always in control, but whether you let go or not. But we have this idea that, okay, I, I have to resign myself so that God can do what he needs to do. Folks, God's going to do what he's going to do because he is sovereign, and his sovereignty should not be something that causes us great distress and concern. His sovereignty is what we rest our head upon. Spurgeon said the sovereignty of God is the, is the very pillow that we can put our, our head down at night. That's how we rest and can sleep at night because we put our head down knowing that my life is in the hands of a sovereign God and I will not fear what man can do to me. But then Jesus makes a very, very strong statement. And again, don't think that these are being mentioned just randomly. He says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Now taking the context of everything that's been mentioned here, because divine sovereignty and divine providence rules over all, the destiny or the eternity of believers is secure beyond the fear of harm and we should not turn away from the boldest declaration of our faith to preserve our lives our business the apostles business was to confess christ 
before men. To confess is to the opposite of denial. To confess is to proclaim and to, to announce as ownership. To say, I belong to Him. He belongs to me. I confess Christ. We acknowledge that He is truth. We acknowledge that in Him, we have our beginning. In Him, we have our life. In Him, we have our ending. Even the very confession of our faith is truly, folks, is a confession of Christ. What we believe about God is a confession of Christ. I don't just mean our confession of faith that we take for our doctrinal statement. I'm talking about our confession of faith that we confess with our mouth. If you confess faith, you are confessing Christ. Christ is our theology. Christ is the Word. It ought to be joyful for us to confess Him. But look at this statement. He says, whosoever shall deny me, he says in verse 33, before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Notice there is a two-way here. Those that confess me, I will confess them before my Father, which is in heaven. Folks, it truly is an offense against God who Jesus in this, these two verses twice calls, says, my Father which is in heaven. He clearly is saying if we fail to confess His Son on earth, it is clear that to deny Jesus means to not confess Him. What a warning it is. And Jesus is sending out these apostles and He's telling them, don't be afraid. Be filled with courage. You're going to have to go into a den of wolves and you're going to have to confess faith. You're going to, you, can, you cannot deny me to live and to die without confessing Christ before men is to run an awful race. To just simply say, I give up. To simply say, I'm giving up Christ. To disown Him as your Savior. But yet Jesus tells them to have a bold spirit that fears God. We understand that one day when judgment comes, it is God who pronounces the judgment of all man. And it is in those moments at that time when we are supposed to take what we know about today, take the fears of today, and compare them to the fearful thing to stand before God at judgment day. There is nothing more fearful than to stand before a holy God. No matter how fearful this life gets, no matter how intense the struggle gets, there is still nothing more fearful than to stand before the living God. But yet, Jesus is telling His disciples, I want you to take what you know about the fear of man, and I want you to compare them against the fear of God. Again, Spurgeon said this, he said, Let me confess thy truth, whatever the spirit of the age may be. Uphold thy church when she is most despised. Obey thy precepts when they cost most dear. And glory in thy name when it is most reproached. He who fears God much fears not men. 
Jesus said, be fearful, but fear the right one. Fear God. What an encouragement it was for the apostles, not that they were going to face these great trials and this great persecution, but that he wanted them to know. But I want you to understand, men, that one day, although you're going to be hated, although you're going to be persecuted, although you might even lose your life, you can endure all of this knowing that he, Jesus himself, would confess them before the Father. That they were his. Folks, realize that what the promises of the apostles that he would confess them before the Father is the same promise that you and I have as well if we are truly in Christ. Now, we may not face exactly what the apostles were facing. We're not going to get that same commission that they got, and we're not going to face exactly the same thing. But I also believe that we are to go out into this world and we are to confess Christ and we're to confess him boldly. And we're not to fear man. We're not to fear Even in our uh, scripturing of Ecclesiastes 5, there was a mention there of not fearing man. There's been a theme running all through tonight. Don't fear man, fear God. And I hope that's what we'll leave here tonight understanding. Even as Spurgeon just put that, he who fears God much fears not men. The Lord never said this life would not be filled with fearful things, but he said, you can trust in me. You can trust in my Father's sovereign plan. You can trust in the will of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, even these very difficult passages that speak of the great struggle and the tribulation and the persecution that were coming to your apostles and uh, maybe even to us, Lord, that we can find great comfort in these words. And Lord, how I'm even comforted tonight to think about uh, the, 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 the sparrow and thinking about the very number of hairs on our head being numbered and cataloged and uh, just knowing your sovereignty. Uh, Lord, I certainly pray that if we are fearful people tonight, if we're fearful about what man can do to us, I trust, Lord, that we'll leave here uh, fearing God realizing that there is nothing that man can do beyond your permissive will. And Father, may we truly have the right perspective on this. Lord, help us as we think on these truths throughout this week. And Lord, may may we rejoice in knowing that we are indeed the children of God. We do thank you and we praise you for this time we've had in your word. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and we'll finish with